I am always surprised by how many things I post or share on social media that get responses like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. Or I can't believe you you talked about like your bloody nipples while running (laughs) or your thighs chafing or pooping your pants, like all these things. And I've realized that uh, for whatever reason, I don't care. I'm your host, Kat Bradley. Welcome to the B-Rad Podcast, oh Jeffrey. God. Thanks for having me. It's yeah, so good to be here. So good to be here. Thanks for the mark. Oh, please. At least um, I could do. <laughs> so I met you at the Brooks Athlete Summit, yeah. where ironically, you gave a pre- presentation on social media. <laughs> you introduced yourself as a comedian, <laughs> as a runner, um, and as a, a content creator, Uh how would you describe yourself? I don't know. I have no <laughs> clue. Um, That's why it's the best question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, I have so many irons in the fire, and I have such a hard time focusing on any one thing. And I think one of the things that is both a, a positive and a curse of Jeffrey James Binney is that I always have just so many things going on, but that's how I like it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how I'd describe myself. Uh, motivational speaker, content creator, adventurer, traveler. I don't know. Yeah. Lots if you were describing yourself to yourself and not to someone else, <coughs> then would that change? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially if I was describing it to... I often think about telling... 10 year old Jeffrey about what he's up to today because oh my gosh I mean I was like a bona fide indoor kid just this chubby little theater nerd super out of place on a pig farm in Missouri (laughs) and if I could go back to that kid and be like hey here's the deal number one it all works out it's all fine it's all good (laughs) and get this uh (laughs) you enjoy running and have made a career out of it, that would blow the socks off of little 10-year-old Jeffrey's feet. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yes, that would change how I describe myself. I don't exactly know how I would describe myself to myself. I think I would probably just say, uh, you finally figured it out. (laughs) I think I've been trying to figure out a way to get paid to do what I want to do for a lot of years, and I seem to have hit the jackpot and have at least for a while an opportunity to do that so yeah i don't know if it gets much much more lucky than that oh yeah i feel that um similar in that i was a musical theater nerd total you musical were theater. completely that's why i, I didn't know that mm-hmm. and <laughs> i also musical theater nerd also like complete pariah (laughs) really which was super interesting i realized it was just because i was extremely hyper Mm -hmm. and when i found running running brought me down to like a normal level where i could communicate at a at a pace that didn't want to make the my peers like kill themselves like i was a truly intense little kid that could only be brought down with extreme exercise and musical theater. That's really interesting. I have I have always struggled with attention issues, but it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that maybe there was a <laughs> diagnosable yeah. issue that needed to be addressed. Uh, but uh, it's uh, I don't know. I feel like running was so profound for my attention issues, and I 
Uh, can't find it. I haven't looked that hard, but I would love to see if there is is any research around that because I have ha- I, not only myself. I feel like I have had so many friends with similar situations who have benefited so much from running. I would love to know if there's something demonstrable, something measurable that is beneficial for people with attention issues. Yeah, and I've run. I've noticed that trend too. And if it's not attention issues, it's like some other mm-hmm. um, learning difference that's like related to that, whether it be dyslexia or ADHD or dysgraphia. My brother has dysgraphia, which is essentially another attention deficit disorder, you know, and it's just, I was heavily medicated at starting 10 years oh, wow, old, really? which yeah. really like kind of shaped how I viewed my my own learning. And I just really resented school because of it. Um, dropped out of college, like all oh, blah, 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 even though I got wow. recruited to run at a D1 school. Um, and it's totally true. I think just in the last like five years or so, it's talked about more. Like I've seen all types of things about you know, ADHD education, which has been like, oh shit, that's me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not crazy for forgetting my keys. <laughs> Do you come from an, an education background or you use the phrase uh, learning difference, which is, uh, so I come from a nannying, I uh, worked in, in, in preschools for a while. Um, at, that's a very uh, inclusive way yeah. for you to describe. Well, that. I eventually did finish my degree, was in um, uh, a kindergarten teacher. And then Amazing. worked was working to get my special ed before I went pro. Awesome. So did not finish that cert, but also like true heroes, I uh, <laughs> would I not a, have last. <laughs> I was a para in a special education preschool. It was a, a, a subsidized, government funded preschool. So um, you know the the worst. Not all of them, <laughs> but some some kids who really had gotten the short end yeah. of the stick in life. It was awful. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was so inspiring. These kids were incredible. But I think I cried at least once every day. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was I brutal. for sure cried once a day. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was teaching too. I was doing this, you know, I was doing practicum hours in high risk um, and high needs areas, mm. um, specifically in Aurora, Colorado. Um, and I, I am impressed that you use the word inspired because I was extremely disheartened by the education system. Uh, I have an uncanny knack for putting a positive spin on really tragic circumstances. Yeah, that's so. good for you. I was like, um, oh my god. Yeah, no, it was it was hard. It was like it was it was gut wrenching every every day. Yeah, I felt like my heart at least once was ripped out of my chest, and it was so hard to not adopt all of them. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of them were in the system and were available, and it was just heartbreaking yeah and that's also you know just shows what kind of person you are because it's you know they're with um kids with um differences or disabilities it's you know sometimes outbursts are violent and um you know targeted at you even if that's not what they mean you know and so I, I would never was like, I'm, I want to take one of these kids home, you know? And mm-hmm. even though I felt so deeply for them and I cared for them, I like really truly loved my students, but I was always like, I need to, I need to be a hermit. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, it's, I can only imagine that nurses and, and other professions deal with the same thing, but it's so hard to remove yourself yeah. emotionally from it. It's hard to, to detach and it's hard. Yeah. So speaking of hard things and possible coping mechanisms. <laughs> <laughs> I know where this is going. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, 
my musical theater, my love for musical theater also led me to comedy. Oh. Um, and I, I've, you know, dabbled at open mics, but more so, and I've always hoped to do more, you know, but the time fills. Um, but I'm just like a nerd, you know, I, I don't read anything about running, even though that's my whole career. Everything I read is comedy. Um, how does that fit in your life between, you know, nanny working with special ed kids? Um, where, why did you lean towards comedy? And, you know, I'll dive right into it. Was it because it was a coping mechanism? It sure as shit was for me. Like I, all my, my family has to be like, stop fucking joking (laughs) so much. Yeah, it. I mean, yes. I think it. It almost always is, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's. Um, you know, I. I people dis- discover me on social media right now, and they are like, "Oh, where did he come from? This is so wild that this husky ginger dude like dances kind of okay uh, in the woods. Like, this is wild." And if you know my history, it actually makes a ton of sense. I. Um, my mom put me in dance classes when I was four years old. I loved it, but hated it because there was only one other boy and he quit and I was getting made fun <laughs> of. <laughs> so I demanded to quit and that only lasted until uh, high school. And uh, in the meantime, I had, you know, I had been playing the piano since I was five. I was getting super into music, uh, into band and marching band and everything. And uh, I, I discovered dance again. I became a pretty decent little tap dancer and then decided to go to college for for musical theater um i pursued i lived in new york and pursued musical theater for seven or eight years and and was i was so lucky i i had a great run of it but uh it's a hard lifestyle it's it's just it's hard you're constantly looking for work you know you're so excited to get a contract for three months and then you're back in new york serving tables auditioning trying to find the next job and you book it and you go do it and then you come back in this endless cycle that was so fun in my 20s but i hit 30 and i was just kind of struggling to i don't know I just realized like I'm I'm never gonna have a yard in New York. I'm never probably gonna own a home. All these things that you start to think about when you hit 30. And I don't know why I was gravi- gravitating towards comedy, but I had I had started taking improv classes at the Price Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. And I was an okay improviser, but I wasn't great. But that led me to stand up. And I was terrified of stand-up. Um, I don't know if I've ever been scared of anything more. But I made myself, you know, get up on stage and and tell jokes, and it was excruciating. Uh, you know, it's it's New York. I mean, a lot of open mics, nobody shows up except for comics. I Who, did my first open mic at Dangerfield. You, wow, that is such bravery. I didn't know. <laughs> it's, it's it's like it's like laughably brutal. I mean, I mean, we're talking like literally fellow comics booing each other in a completely empty comedy club at three p.m. on a Tuesday. It's just the most surreal. Uh, heart destroying <laughs> experience but I started to have a couple good sets and when it goes good it feels so good you know unlike theater where you're in charge of your performance but somebody else designed the costume somebody else wrote the script someone else wrote the score someone else did this someone else did that with stand-up like it's all you 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 were in control of literally everything except for the stage and the lights and so when you fail 
it's all your fault. But when you succeed, it's all your fault. Mm -hmm. And I like became addicted to that. I was like, oh my gosh, like when this is good, it's so good. And Mm -hmm. it, it, it's all me. So it's like, there was a, a sense of pride that I really hadn't felt, I think in other like performing arenas. But then I was really quickly confronted with like the realities of the stand-up world. It's like the wild west of the entertainment industry. You know, I was coming from the theater world where I was in the union and everything is controlled and there are rules and you have this many lights around your dressing dressing room, you know, station and you know everything is just so controlled to the stand-up world where again, like literally the wild west of the entertainment industry. There are no rules. You might get paid. Who knows when? <laughs> like and and I'm not a night owl. And, you know, I was just like like desperate to go on stage at 1 a.m. to tell, you know, mediocre poop jokes to a bunch of drunk strangers. And that's that's kind of when the idea for my film was born. I was just so over trying to be a part of somebody else's project and I finally I was also grieving the loss of my mom and was not in a good place uh, emotionally and I really just needed a project yeah and, and that's where the idea came from yeah so your film once is enough came yeah. from um, a lack of fulfillment in comedy and a lack of stability and wanting to do something else creative yeah because you know every not i mean i shouldn't speak for everyone most comedians dream is to you know do their first special whether you mm-hmm. know it used to be hbo and now it's netflix like to, to write your first hour of content that somebody mm-hmm. wants to produce and and get out there and i just realized that that was years off at best if if ever i was years away from that and um you know, I, I don't know that I would say my film is on par with a Netflix comedy special, but I just, I just had a sense of like, why wait? Like, why, why, why wait for somebody else's opportunity? Let's let's do this. I think I have an interesting story here. I think I'm doing this crazy thing that I want to do, running a 100 mile ultra marathon for interesting reasons, and I think I think there's a story here. I think there's a story that's worth worth telling. Yeah. I guess you know what. I think if anything, I would describe myself as a storyteller. (laughs) (laughs) It took us, what, 35 minutes to get to answer the first question. But if I were to describe myself, I think I would describe myself as a storyteller. Yeah. Your stories or just stories? Um, I think most of them are mine. I think Mm -hmm. I, I love telling other interesting stories, too. But I also, I am always surprised by how many things I post or share on social media that get responses like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. Or I can't believe you you talked about like your bloody nipples while running (laughs) or your thighs chafing or pooping your pants, like all these things. And I've realized that uh, for whatever reason, I don't care (laughs) about those things. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of the stories I tell are self-deprecating stories or embarrassing stories because I really feel like I am, am on a side mission to just make everyone stop giving a shit so much yeah. about stuff like that. Everybody poops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we all poop. We all are nervous about the same things. We're all self-conscious about the same things. I, especially on social media, wish we could all just stop pretending like everything's perfect right. and talk about the realities of life. Sometimes yeah. we poop our pants on long runs. Oh, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay, Kat. That, oh my gosh. I have done it and I have talked about it on social media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think people are drawn to that. I think, I mean, I think like, I think people, you know, when I was first 
getting into into running, I consumed every single film, every podcast, every book, every movie, everything that existed about ultramarathons. I consumed it. And it was so inspiring to see all these people like Scott Jurek and all these other people just like destroying records and, and, and running these races at ridiculously high speeds. But there were no like husky middle-aged ginger lumberjacks doing these things. Like I couldn't find myself anywhere. Like I couldn't find anyone doing these things. And I knew that they were doing them. I just couldn't find anyone else. And so, you know, again, part of, 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 of why the film was born, because I was like, you know what, I'm a normal, very average, uh, very unathletic dude. Um, even if I'm not successful, I think there's value in other people, like, watching me try this. Like, I might not be successful, they might not be successful, but that doesn't matter. There's a lot of value in just, like, starting the journey. You yeah. Know? Totally. I actually just like a few hours ago read this thing. Um, I am dealing with this whole slew of injuries dating back to 2015. And so I started working with a sports psychologist and he just emailed me something that just said, let go of perfectionism. And that was literally all he said. And it just right before you walked in the door. And I think that's what you are showing to people <coughs> who are pursuing um getting out there <laughs> well yeah i mean we come from such polar opposite running worlds yeah. uh, a friend of mine who's a collegiate runner he texted me a few days ago and he was like oh my gosh i just ran a so-and-so minute on my 800 meter and i <laughs> i thought about googling what an 800 meter was <laughs> and i just replied and i said i am so excited for you <laughs> I don't know what kind of fast runner bullshit you're talking about, but it sounds very exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> but it's those moments where I realized that like, there's just such a different like running experience between like people who are winning races and people who are, are just there for the fireball shots and to finish, to survive, you know? I have been, been DFL twice also, yeah. so. Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, dead fucking last, for those <laughs> yes. of you who don't know. Sometimes so. called last ass. Yeah. There's lots of versions. So I've been on both ends, taking the fire shot, ball yeah. shots at mile 95, um, and also pursuing goals. But those are, you know, my. I will say that the people that I will talk to my running goals about are the people who don't know anything about running because because yeah. <laughs> I get the they're best responses. Supportive. Yeah, they're just like, I love you. And I'm like, that's all I really needed. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's it's interesting. Like coming to running from being someone who grew up just so unathletic because I think. Uh, at the core, I think we're probably all running for the same reasons, but it's, uh, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Those of us who find it later in life, I, I constantly say, I think it was hands down the best therapy that I could have found after losing my mom. Yeah. I'm sure real therapy <laughs> would have been better, but, uh, it was a close consolation. I think, uh, I don't know. And cheaper. It definitely <laughs> <laughs> Marginally, yeah. but, but definitely. But cheaper. now you're getting paid to do it, so. right? Right, right. So it works out. Yeah, <laughs> eventually. Um, you know, you've said you're unathletic like three to five times since mm -hmm. we've talked, and I just yeah. want to, um, you know, you said something really impactful at the Brooks Summit, um, and I had a similar experience, and when I was in high school or uh, in, uh, yeah, maybe I was a freshman in high school, and you talked about 
uh, the doctor listening to your heart. Mm. Can you tell that story really mm-hmm. quick? Yeah, I had been training for, I guess, a year and a half getting ready for the Leadville 100. That's the race that I thought was the right choice for my first 100-mile <laughs> ultramarathon. And, you know, the whole thing that inspired me to do this was losing my mom to obesity-caused heart disease. I was 350 pounds, and I was, you know, on the same railroad tracks right right behind her. And so I was trying to do things right. And a few weeks before the Rocky Raccoon 100, which was the 100-miler, oh, no, it was Leadville, a few weeks before Leadville, I went to the doctor. I just scheduled a checkup just to make sure that everything looked good and was in order and that I still had a doctor's blessing to go do this crazy thing. And, you know, obviously always on edge at the doctor because of my my mom's history. So the doctor was doing all his normal checks and everything. And then he listened to my heart and he kind of did a like confused dog head tilt and moved the stethoscope and looked weird again and moved it again and listened again and said, Oh, Hey, uh, hey, uh, if you'll excuse me for a moment, I'll be right back. And my mind went south (laughs) so fast, like just started spiraling into, you know, obviously like you knew this was coming, you know, this runs in the family. You, you've been a fat ass your whole life. You've never, you know, you've all these, you know, all these things. I mean, he was gone probably 45 (laughs) seconds, but I really, (laughs) I really went on a journey in those 45 (laughs) seconds. And then he reemerged with a much younger dude. And he said to me, hey, this is so-and-so. He's a resident. Uh, Do you mind if I have him listen to your heart? It's not very often that we get to hear the heart rate of an ultra-athlete. Boom. Boom. Oh, what did you call me, sir? (laughs) My heart dropped. Like, that was the first time that anyone anywhere had had referred to me as an athlete and it was i will never forget it it was very impactful yeah athlete athlete you're right you're right i don't want any of that non-athletic bullshit <laughs> well it's complicated isn't it i mean i finally got rid of it but i i used to um I think I had athlete in quotes in my Instagram bio for a while. You still do on your website. Oh, do I? Because <laughs> so, she knows. Oh, yeah. uh, and I finally got rid of it out of my IG profile because I, um, I don't call myself an athlete like for entertainment purposes. I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think uh, uh, an athlete uh, or a runner is anyone who's been on a run. Mm-hmm. Anyone who enjoys running, who's been on a run relatively-ish recently, you're a runner. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like there's there's any gates that, that keep anyone from calling themselves a runner. Same, same for athletes. But for people who, who grew up um, having a, a label of like, super not athlete (laughs) it's just even still like i am an athlete of course i'm an athlete but it's still it's just i don't know there's something in me that's so hilariously like preposterous to like 
Seriously. I mean, I, I'm an athlete. I am an athlete. <laughs> but in the typical sense of the word athlete, it just like, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing now thinking about calling myself an athlete because I, you know, what I'm doing out there, I don't know that it's athleting, you know? I mean, <laughs> I'm just like having a good time going for a run. Sometimes I take dance breaks. Sometimes I stop and sing to the animals. And so it, it is. I, I realize it's athletic. It is athleticism. <laughs> but it's just, I don't know. It's hard for me to take myself seriously. Wouldn't it be so much better if that's how we thought of athleticism? Absolutely. You know, I come from a family of extreme athletes. Uh My mom was a professional athlete. My brother is six seven. My um, sister was like a freak tennis player. Was the pressure like off the chain? Oh, off the chain. Which made me like totally hate sports. Of course. Um. You know, I actually got into running because I was getting in trouble for being a truant, skipping school, and also <laughs> a truant. Mm-hmm. Such a dramatic word for a kid who is not in the mood to go to school. Too much weed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they were like, "You're skipping too much school. Join a sport or get kicked out." <laughs> and I was like, "Volleyball." Got mm. kicked off the volleyball team, mm. um, and then joined cross country, which you know is a different story, but so much pressure in my family to be a good athlete. And my sister, who was kind of the star athlete of the family, um, was getting free tennis gear at like age 10 had, you know, was people talked about her when she like, her name was on the start list. I don't know the tennis details, but she, um, does not like sports anymore. I'm so sorry, but I need to, I can't the battery right now. Well, good thing we have two other cameras. Oh, we're good for 12 minutes. Oh, cool. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, you were um, talking about your sister. And she, the only way I got her, she like swore off sports for 10 years almost. And now I'm, she's slowly starting to get into running and I'm coaching her and I told her, I'm like, don't do anything. That doesn't feel good. If that's walking, then walk. Mm-hmm. And literally if that's dancing, then dance. And she's like a great dancer too. Um, and I'm just like, then do that. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be performance based and like it's the only way that she's found to enjoy running ever and like that is so cool because that's exactly what you're doing well and i feel such a need when i'm out quote unquote running to to not run because i i can't tell you how many people i talk to who are like oh i'd love to try an ultra marathon but i would have to walk a little bit what of every the people who are winning ultra marathons are walking a little bit like do not let that keep you from it and like even if you're not gonna run 100 milers it doesn't matter go walk a go walk a, a mile it doesn't matter like go do it and have fun for reasons other than being fast or impressing people with your athletic prowess there are so many in my opinion more important reasons to do it than 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 that like go have fun yes yeah, like, go play outside because it feels good yes. you know um, yes. that's it and uh that like me understanding that in my adult life because i was you know a conditioned collegiate athlete who just like hated her life and since understanding how much i actually do just like to go out whatever that means it's it's changed me and it's been a like help me talk to my sister about it and to 
hopefully my brother, who's another intense athlete. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, I think that's the cool thing about the running community is that there is a place for literally everyone. Yeah. It doesn't matter what kind of type A, like down to the millisecond runner you are, or if you are a DGAF runner who's going to have fun and take fireball shots and dance at aid stations. Like there's a, there's a place in the running community for you. And I think that's so freaking cool. Yeah. It's so freaking cool. It's, uh, you know, especially the trail running community, which mm-hmm. is why I landed here um, as a trail runner, like as someone who just was a little weird for <laughs> the, the track world. Mm-hmm. I just wanted something that uh, could mold to my weird too. Um, I think you found it. Yeah, totally. Right back at you. <laughs> um, so I, I'm just as someone who's just like a fan of comedy and the lifestyle and um, and also an ultra runner, I I see similarities in the types of people who run ultras and the comedians that I know. Um, Is there, what similarities do you see? And I'm even curious about lifestyle, like on paper, completely different lifestyles. You know, like one, you gotta be a night owl, the other favors morning, um, early morning people. But, you know, I feel like it's, more complicated than that. What would you draw from both of those and what skills have you brought to the table from both running and comedy? Well, I think, um, you know, in both, especially ultra running and comedy, they share a sense of longevity in that the only way to be successful is to, um, you know, in the typical hard moments that are inevitable, just saying, hey, I'm going to abandon every reasonable human instinct and I'm going to keep running. Or despite those seven shows I did where I completely bombed, literally got booed, and there's no legitimate reason why I should even think about continuing with comedy, uh, making the choice to like keep soldiering forward. That's when like the really magical stuff happens. So, you know, I think... I don't know. I think that's the biggest similarity be- between the two. And I I think nothing has taught me that more than, than ultra running. But also, you know, the like how varied they are. I mean, everyone thinks of, of comedy as stand-up comedy and, and, mm-hmm. and specials and, and going to comedy clubs. But there's so many other forms of comedy. I mean, you know, David Sedaris, I mean, gosh, his books are just hilarious. You know, I, I mean, it's hard to find like funnier written word. Um, same with comedic actors or now social media has, has created all of these outlets for, for comedic content creators. And so I think I also love that both worlds are so diverse. Like there's, like we just said, there's so many different types of runners. There's so many different runner paths that one can go on, but same with comedy. I mean, I just feel infinitely lucky that I'm, uh, in a position where I can produce my own comedic content on social media. And I don't, again, I don't have to rely on somebody else giving me a job, me auditioning yeah. for somebody else's project. It is maybe the greatest luxury as a creative is being in charge of your own work. That's mm-hmm. really lovely. <laughs> yeah, lovely. I also find it, I sometimes crave the normalcy of a regular job. Do mm. you ever 
find yourself struggling with that? Yeah, I can't give up my day job. I still have it. Oh, really? What is your day job? <laughs> uh, I do operations for a tech-adjacent company, uh, a small company. And uh, it, it itches this... Uh, while I am really creative and I am like that guy, I also, until eighth grade, was bound and determined to be an astronaut. I was obsessed with science, especially astronomy. Uh, I wrote letters to astronauts. They responded. I have signed mission photos on my bedroom, my childhood bedroom, that are still hanging. I mean, I was so obsessed until I, I took an artistic detour. Uh, but the operations role like totally mm -hmm. itches that uh, analytical data uh, side of my brain. Yeah. Um, what part of you wanting to be an astronaut was adventure versus um, that, you know, analytical organized part of you? 100% uh, adventure. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's so, it's so stupid <laughs> that it took me until 40 years of age to realize this, but I've realized that, like since I was a little kid, I was obsessed with adventure. I was obsessed with the Titanic. I was obsessed with Lewis and Clark. Do you have any Lewis and Clark questions? I am a self-proclaimed <laughs> armchair Lewis and Clark expert. So wow. if you have any burning questions, <laughs> I probably have the answer. Uh, Shackleton, you know, the, the expedition to Antarctica. I, I, it took me until I was an adult to realize that like I was obsessed with all of these adventure stories when I was a little kid. I've been obsessed with air travel since I was a little kid, which I think was a huge part of wanting to be an astronaut. I really wanted to be a pilot. Um, and I think it's just like, you know, that's the last frontier, you know, if you were born in 1982. And so I think everything is informed <laughs> by me being obsessed with adventure yeah I, I think that was a very smart question yeah <laughs> <laughs> I wish you would have asked me 10 years ago before I realized that on no my own. I I asked because I um was I I really wanted to be an astronaut too really I, yeah and I, I we actually are this, how did I we are the same person I little rather, musical theater nerd yeah, little astronaut and I said that and I lit up because I I almost laughed I was like dedicated to this project where I was um, I, I had this connection with this guy um, in Hawaii who worked um, uh, with NASA. And so I got an internship with him in high school because I wanted to be an astronaut. And I was, um, it was a Mars simulation on Mauna Loa. And what? I was their contact person. So I was like, it was How literally, old were you? I was like 17, 18. <gasps> and I um, was like in charge of, you know, th things like if they ran out of toilet paper, I would report it and log it. Um, but what I realized about myself in this is I am incredibly disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> and I got fired. <laughs> I literally was losing law in the, like the people who are astronauts are relying on me. And I like am great at, at talking the talk, sometimes yeah. not walking the walk, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, these people in this Mars simulation where they can't leave for six months were relying on me for things like toilet paper, and I forgot. <laughs> so, it that was is the really... most Jeffrey thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, my God. And it was, like, just me at first being, like, I am a fa failure. And then after, I was, like, hmm, like, 
maybe I don't want to be on a computer at all yeah. and I need to do something else. And that was my first, my first realization that I was like, it's not necessarily like being an astronaut. In fact, like I really like earth. I think I just, I, I can't work in the mm-hmm. confines of what is a nine to five right now. Well, and I don't know what your parents did, but my, I grew up on a farm. Uh, my mom worked for my dad. They worked so hard but it was super seasonal so uh you know spring and fall were wild like absolute craziness i mean my dad would be working 16 hours a day but then winter was really chill like our family kind of hibernated like we went to school but like he would go out and fix the machinery and feed the pigs and tootle around Mm -hmm. but our our lives were so um seasonal and within our own control and my sister and i both as adults have realized that we we're fine like we respect authority we can work for other people we can show up to work on time but neither of us thrive in that environment Mm -hmm. we both are much more successful and happy if we uh have like that same uh autonomy and like seasonality like we really even my you know my husband now he gets so annoyed in the winter i like i hunker down i hibernate (laughs) like i mean we live in los angeles there's no reason to stay inside but there's just something about winter that like i'm just i'm gonna binge some tv shows like that's what i'm ready for so i don't know i think it's interesting those those like those those things that we don't think about growing up I, i i have found a lot of them to be like interesting as adults i think they linger yeah totally um, my mom was a model. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so of, not a typical no, yeah, uh, mom not, story. Definitely and your not. dad, what did he do? Um, he was in real estate. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, both lots and, of ups and downs. My parents were split, though. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, so definitely like an unpredictable, like, but ups and also downs. very not nine to five jobs. No, exactly. Of Neither of them yeah. nine to five jobs, especially my mom, like work, like, oh, I got a job right what now. What type of modeling go. did she do? Like what? All kinds. So in the 80s, she was one of the, um, you know, the fitness uh, videos where they're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. I'm doing workouts. She was like the star of those. And then, but also my aunt who lives in France now, my mom's sister, has a story about um, a Tiffany's ad in France, like a giant Tiffany's ad at a billboard in the middle of Paris. And my mom is in, and and, like, no one, my mom doesn't even know that's where she's landed. So, um, yeah, so like really crazy, which is like I have the similar stories of uh, being in dance when I was four <laughs> and me being like, no. <laughs> yeah, I, um, that's amazing. Where yeah. did you grow up? Hawaii. Wow, yeah. what an interesting childhood. Oh, yeah, you don't know the half bit. I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got dinner yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another margarita and yeah. some dinner. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. You started running because um, I remember you saying that um, when your mom was in the hospital, you started running. Yeah. Um, did you just like walk out of the hospital and go for a run? Pretty much. I had been living in Brooklyn and I um, I had gotten uncomfortable in New York and I couldn't totally figure it out figure it out. I couldn't figure out why. I had been there at that point for, I guess, like six, almost seven years. And I didn't have a car. 
And uh, I discovered cycling, <laughs> which I know is not a novel thought, but some friends like bought bikes and I was like, oh, sure, I'll get a bike. And I suddenly became obsessed with riding my bike around New York City. It is a shockingly efficient way to get around New York City. <laughs> I, I could get most places faster on my bike than I could get on the subway. Uh, I got a little bit of exercise. And at this point, my mom was like declining. So it was... I guess in the back of my mind, but it wasn't it wasn't the reason that I that I started cycling. But about a year after I discovered cycling was when her final decline started and I went back to Missouri and you know she was at the end in the ICU for almost 4 months at the end which meant, you know, I was living in the ICU waiting room. We had a hotel like next to the mm-hmm. the hospital, but I don't know. I just couldn't, like, I don't know. I couldn't leave her there, (laughs) you know? So lots of, uh, lots of time in the waiting room. And there was a trail running magazine. Every month, a new version of trail running magazine would show up. And I just kept picking it up. And I, at first I remember literally making a joke and be like, God, there's a magazine about how specific is this? People pay (laughs) for this. This is hilarious. And I just kept reading it and I kept, I kept reading about ultra marathons. I was like, man, that sounds crazy. Like, how cool. And then I, um, well, we just, we had a, a particularly bad hospital day. Well, the worst of days. <laughs> we were given some pretty final news. And I just went to a running store, bought a pair of shoes, and went and found a trail. They were like Vibram neoprene five-finger shoes on a rainy February day in Missouri. Like, could not possibly have been (laughs) a worse shoe choice. A guy literally made fun of me on the trail, which I didn't realize at the time. I thought he was complimenting my shoes. But now, like, looking back, I realize he was calling out how ridiculous it was that I chose those shoes on a muddy winter trail in Missouri. But anyway, I went to this trail, and... Within minutes was hooked. Like, you know, first I felt like a little kid. I felt like I was playing. I was like literally jumping over logs. I was dirty. And I was like, wait, what is this? Like, this is silly. This is fun. And, uh, you know, another huge thing was that nobody was timing me. Nobody was watching my fat jiggle. Nobody was timing me. No No one gave a crap. Nobody was watching. Nobody cared. And then, you know, first and foremost... For that brief period of time, I didn't think about my mom and my problems and all that stuff. And I remember that run so, so well. And I've been hooked since. It was really memorable. And it was it was everything that, like, running wasn't, you know? Or I thought, or so I thought, <laughs> you know? So I thought. To me, running was, you know, that time of year... Every year when you have to do the Presidential Physical Fitness Award Mm -hmm. uh, things and you have to run a mile and I would get in trouble because I would have a bad attitude and I would refuse (laughs) to run the whole thing. And then I'd laugh about how slow my time was. So it was just such a, like a, a, I don't know. It was really shocking (laughs) to me to go for a run and enjoy it. It was a very un-Jeffrey thing of me to do. Yeah. But now a very Jeffrey thing. Now it is the most of Jeffrey things to do. <laughs> um, what? So what advice would you give to you 
pre-running or to another person who's, you know, running curious. Chill out. Preach it. Chill the frick out. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It may be, la- it, I don't know what it is that you're worried about. It, it might matter a little bit. I certainly don't want to say it's insignificant, but just go for a run. Go do the thing. Go do the race. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if you get pulled. It doesn't matter if you DNF. It doesn't matter if you fall and break a bone. It doesn't like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like just go have the, just go, just do it and have the experience. And if there's anything stupid keeping you from it, and I, I use the word stupid lightly because it's, you know, I don't want to make light of it, but if it's, if you're self-conscious about something, if you're worried you're not going to be fast enough, if you're worried, just go do it. Just get outside and have fun. Yeah. Like, just focus on what I think <laughs> really matters, which is just getting out there and doing the thing. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, what is, like, I just feel like you have a lot of wisdom. I feel like you've lived a ton of lives. <laughs> Farmer, <laughs> comedian, nanny. Um, working with high needs kids, I, wealth of knowledge. Um, what is just like a general piece of life advice that you would give? Mm. Um, I think there are two. The first thing is, uh, this is something that happens often in general with people who call themselves comedians, but people are often surprised to find out that I'm actually a lot more introverted and quiet than people would think. And if you put me in a crowd of people, if I need to perform, if I need to be the center of attention, I got it. Cool. I'll do it. But that's not my default. By default, in a room of strangers, I chill in the corner. I am affable and chatty, but I'm I'm a, an observer until I've got the lay of the land. I tend to be pretty pretty reserved. And there's a quote by Abraham Lincoln that I'm going to totally butcher. But anytime somebody points that out or asks me why that is, I always share this quote. Um, Abraham Lincoln said, "It's better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're an idiot." than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to err on the side of, of less words more than more words, which is going to be hilarious for any of my friends or people that I work with because I tend to be long-winded. But um, that's one. The other one, I think the more global uh, life advice, it's where the title for my film, Once is Enough, came from. Uh, it's a quote by Mae West. Um And she said, you only live once, but if you do it right, once is enough. So that's how we settled on the the title for the film, because I loved that I knew people would hear, oh, it's a film about this this guy who runs a 100-mile ultramarathon. It's called Once is Enough. Oh, okay, well, running it once was enough. Um, No, that's that's not where the title came from. Wow. That's what I thought. Yeah, well, good, good. I mean, that was the goal. That That was the goal. That was the goal. Yeah, that's cool. Um... I'm like just so curious uh, about what's next for you. I don't know. My life has has been turned upside down the last year and a half. So many bonkers opportunities have 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 presented themselves. Like, um, well, number one, I uh, am getting to travel a ton. I uh, I I decided to, to to try to host some trips and see if any of my followers wanted to, to travel with me. 
And it turned out they were super into it. And it's so much fun. And I think most of all, it I'm I just am so filled with a sense of pride when I go on these trips because every time everyone on the trips are they're all awesome. Like I'm so worried every time. I'm like, oh, what is it going to be like? All these random strangers coming together. Everyone is consistently awesome. And I mean, it's not my doing, but I am so proud of the fact that like if you pluck random people out of my follower base and put them together like they're gonna have a blast and they're gonna be awesome (laughs) they all have a sense of adventure like oh my gosh like i just i i i'm absolutely obsessed with with traveling uh with my followers right now so that's one thing that's been awesome i mean working with brooks has been bonkers i mean like literally (laughs) you know that's one thing above all others that i would love to tell 10 year old jeffrey is like (laughs) hey listen to this (laughs) one of the biggest running brands in the world is going to pay you to 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 write stupid dance tiktoks (laughs) about running what? You're going to be like, what's TikTok? I quit dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's absolutely bonkers. Um, some TV opportunities are presenting themselves. Just all kinds of, you know, just like really, um, really exciting things. Uh, and I, I couldn't possibly be more grateful. Uh, you know, I've, I've not always... I've not always been this lucky. I think it's really frustrating for most, especially actors musicians singers it's really frustrating to see people who have found like a really bonkers amount of success talk about like oh you know like how how did that happen and and then say well i worked really hard and then i finally got what i deserved and and that's i like i i have a really i have a guttural recoil reaction to that because i don't know maybe it's just because i like had to struggle a little longer but I don't know. There's so many. Then what's your answer? Like, if it's not that, because I, I mean, I uh, feel similar, and it's I feel in a uh-huh. similar way because um, I feel constantly like just falling a little short, and that, yeah. and I work hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've worked really freaking hard. I've worked my little cojones off, and I'm also decently talented. That being said. I could I could give you a list of at least 100 friends who have worked harder than me, who mm-hmm. are more talented than me, who deserve anything that I've got more than I deserve. So it's not that I don't deserve it. It's just that I acknowledge that there are other people who probably deserve it more mm-hmm. if the universe were a truly fair place. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully that makes sense. That's totally. kind of my feeling. Yeah, I have always defaulted to... Uh, luck and then gratitude <laughs> when people have asked that question because yeah. generally, you know, I, I feel like I'm falling short all the time, but you know, a lot of people would pay to be in my shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that way that it is in huge part due to luck. I think it might've been Liza Minnelli, but somebody at some point said, um, success is when luck and preparedness mm-hmm. meet. And I think that's correct. I, yeah. At least that's that's it for me. It's it's not that I'm the best person suited to be what I'm doing right now. It's that I got lucky. And when I got lucky, I luckily was in a place to 
seize the moment yeah. and capitalize on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard that quote too. That's, I think, something that I strive to be is prepared because yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm just looking for luck. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, nobody knows it better than actors, comedians. I mean, it's a brutal industry. It's a constant, like, the one thing for sure is that you will constantly be rejected rejected <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, without question um, um so i think you know with all people who found kind of a niche for themselves and are successful in their craft are operate just like on a different frequency and are just maybe a little bit different um, and I found that in myself and at first it was something that I didn't like about myself at first. I was like, why can't I talk to my peers, you know? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and now I, I realize, and I'm, I'm grateful for that because, um, the differences in my personality and kind of that frequency that I, I'm on, um, ha- have been what has led to my successes. Mm-hmm. What are those traits in you that you see in yourself? Um, well, this is something I talk with my therapist about a lot. I, um, I'm borderline obsessed with, um, Mm self-awareness. Um, I, and I have been since I was a little kid, I now realize. Um, and even, you know, in middle school, I look back to complicated social situations where maybe I was being bullied or something else was happening. And I've realized that, like, I have always really wanted slash needed to know what everyone thought. Not only about a situation, but especially about me. And that, in turn, has given me, I think, a lot of empathy because my first reaction in, like, a difficult situation is to be like, okay, like, why are they... Do- Here's where they're coming from. Is that why they- Why are they doing this? Like, okay, they're, they're doing this because they're feeling... You know, that, I think, has been really, really valuable as an adult um, to, like, be kind of... And as a performer, you know, I think it's so fascinating when per- performers take the stance of like, oh, well, I don't read reviews. I don't like any of that. I understand. I get that. I, to- I-, I-, I get that. But f- for me, I mean, the job of an actor, the sole job of an actor is to hoodwink the audience into believing that you are whatever you're trying to be. And I can't think of anything that's more important in that role than what the people in the audience thought of you. And if you are secure and confident enough, you can hear that feedback and you can say, oh, no, that's bullshit. Like, that's that's just, that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. Or they're ill-informed or whatever. And at the same time, you can hear a different comment and say, oh, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see. I could. I could see why they saw that. I could see why they thought that. I am just like, like obsessed with getting feedback, <laughs> getting really honest feedback. Uh, again, because of that like self awareness uh, obsession. There's nothing more terrifying to me than having no clue what somebody thinks of me. And I don't even care if you hate me. If you hate me, that's fine. There are. I, not a lot, but there are a few reasons that if you want to diametrically hate me, like I get it. And I'm okay with that as long as I understand that's your stance. But the not knowing drives me crazy. Carson's going to edit this and laugh and be like, Jesus, <laughs> they're the same. <laughs> Were you going to say the same? <laughs> no, well, I just, I call it being in limbo with someone oh, if I don't know yeah. how they feel about me. And it 
tortures me. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, in the workplace, it's made me, it's given me this hilarious rep- reputation because at any time uh, there's any conflict whatsoever, people are hesitant in the company. I, I, um, I, I, I oversee quite a few different people. And there's a hesitancy to bring me into it because they know that if they tell me about it, then I'm going to pull everyone into a meeting. We're all going to make us all talk about our feelings. (laughs) Like they know that I'm immediately going to tackle it because I feel like communication issues are almost always at the root of that BS. And I just think it's so important for everyone to just know how everyone's feeling. Like it doesn't like the way you're feeling is probably valid. Maybe you're reacting to it in not a constructive way, but the everyone's feeling Feelings are valid, so let's talk about them. Explain what you're feeling, and we'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it would. I mean, like things would be so much more efficient. <laughs> I think like so. That. If they just put us in charge. Yeah, my family calls it confrontational. <laughs> but <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I mean, in the Midwest, I, I was so avoidant of confrontation. I would get like. I would have like a visceral physical yeah. reaction to con- confrontation uh, more so like leading up to it than in, in the actual moment. But if, if, if it did catch me by surprise, I would shut down. Mm-hmm. Like if I was, if it was unexpected, I couldn't like, yeah, all I could do was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Of course. And leave. I couldn't mm-hmm. like have a conversation and bartending, bartending oh. and nannying, <laughs> but especially bartending. Um, knocked it right out of me you just you don't have that luxury as a bartender sometimes Mm -hmm. people are belligerently drunk and you just have to throw them out of the bar (laughs) and it sounds so silly but it like that's what got rid of my midwestern confrontation avoidance was was bartending i finally uh learned a lesson yeah and do you think with that became you know you were self-aware before but you kind of use being self-aware and secure in yourself um, together as if there were parallels. Do you, do you feel like that kind of merged them where you became more, um, uh, secure in yourself when you're able to deal with that confrontation? Well, I think they like, I think one goes before the other. I think you have to be a certain amount of secure in yourself before you can hear that negative feedback Mm -hmm. and accurately gauge what's what. Um, if you, if you're in a, uh, an unhealthy self-conscious space. There's no feedback that's, that's, well, I don't know. I'm not a therapist, <laughs> but, it, but, but feedback is much harder to see as positive when, mm-hmm. when you're in that space. Yep. Whereas if you are in a more confident space, you can hear feedback and say, again, no, that's bullshit. Like, I know that, I know that's not true. They just, they don't, they don't know the, that there's something that they don't know and like they're wrong. So yeah. I'll, I'll dismiss that and I'm not going to obsess over it. And then there might be another comment where, I mean, if you, if you can't, if you can't look at a lot of feedback or criticism of your work and find at least 10% of it, that's like, oh yeah, like they have a point. Like that's Mm -hmm. a little bit true. Like then that's a, I think that's a probably a more negative reflection on you than the criticism because, um, we're all, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. So if you can't hear any critic, any negative criticism and say, oh, maybe there's a, shred of truth to this then i understand why you don't want to hear criticism oh totally. because that's that's a really hard place to be in if you're not if you're not and what a luxury to, <laughs> to be that confident you know what a luxury but also what a burden to always like i i've you know 
I know I struggled with that in the past, just coming from a a family of perfectionists. Mm -hmm. And then also having people in my life that have worked through that, like never, you know, taking feedback of any kind. It's, it's like also like, that sucks for you, you know, because mm-hmm. you're, you're just going to live in, like, your pain, you know. Yeah, 100%. But, um, and I have two more questions, I swear. Well, this let's is hear it. them. I'm just so curious about you. Um, I closed my book because I, I'm just riffing now. Mm. But I, uh, I want to know what you're working on right now in yourself. Hmm whatever you're willing to share. I know it's a personal question. Well, side note, we can't include this. <laughs> <laughs> like I super can't talk about this. Okay. Um, I just finished final casting for Naked and Afraid. Oh my God. Okay, we have lots to talk about. So this, like, I, I can't talk about it, but like that's... I'm trying to make that decision. <laughs> and it's like, I can't talk about it. Yeah, I so want to. It's like, uh, but anyway, so that's that's the answer that I would give. Um, but um, starting here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think my current mission is to help more people do the crazy things that I've been doing the past few years. I started hosting these trips from a pretty selfish standpoint, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, I can travel and like some people are going to come with me and like, won't that be fun for me? And then it just took, well, the first trip I noticed it and then the second trip solidified it. But I realized that there are so many people out there who don't, enjoy the luxury of the same blind confidence that I have. I would never I would never think twice about going on a trip to Patagonia with a bunch of strangers because I saw some dude that I like on Instagram talk <laughs> about it. And I've realized that like that's really brave for a lot of people. That's a really huge step for a lot of people. Um, in Patagonia, we had uh, a 72-year-old guy who was with us and he was so he was so worried about the trip being a bunch of 23-year-olds who were just like blowing past him. He had the most amazing time. And so, I think like just like I mean, not that I'm giving them these opportunities, but being a conduit that's encouraging people to take these risks and see the world, I I can't think of very many things more valuable than travel. So to be facilitating that is pretty bonkers. I'm pretty, pretty stoked about it. I'm launching a YouTube channel. A lot of the content is from these trips, but my other, you know, backpacking trips and, and general outdoor tomfoolery. But I'm just so excited to launch the YouTube channel because even just from the first couple trips, there's just so many interesting stories of really cool people who follow me who decided to really go out on a limb and go on one of these trips. And I don't know. I'm really enjoying that. That's so cool. I am. Carson and I's dream is to like host trips like that. Do it. Yeah. We're we're started. We just did one partnered with um, the coaching company I work with in Arizona, which was like a huge success. And then we're hoping to do one in, um, on the North shore of Hawaii. 
Um, that's like a trail running blend, but also he's Hawaiian, has a deep history in Hawaii. And, Do it. The yeah. travelers are going to have such a bonkers experience, but you are too. It's yeah. going to be so rewarding. Yeah. Um, so last question and probably my favorite question. And I ask this of all my guests, um, what is something that you are proud of that no one would know your husband can know? That's about it. Mm. Besides Lewis and Clark. Oh, that was about to be my answer. Yeah. I know a lot about Lewis and Clark. Still won't count. No, it but it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot. You need to choose an entirely different avenue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, gosh, that's a hard one. Do you ask everybody that question? Mm-hmm. You should have studied. I should have. <laughs> ask it again. What is something that you are proud of? that no one, none of your followers would know, and your husband can know, your family can know, but, you know, your average Joe. From me and my Google search prior to this podcast, I would have no clue. Hmm. Well, it's not something that you wouldn't have any clue about, but um, everyone wants to talk about me running... A 100 mile ultra marathon, which I understand why they want to talk about that. But arguably, the harder part of that whole process was the filmmaking process. <laughs> the filmmaking journey, I think, is kind of the silent, untold story <laughs> of my last five years. Um, and I am. Uh, you know, I told, I, I, I mean, I came from the theater world, not the film and television world, but they're adjacent. And before I set out to make my film, I asked all my friends, I was like, hey, I have this idea. Like, I don't know. Like, do you have any advice? What does it entail? Like, am I getting myself in over my head? All these questions. And nobody was unsupportive, but everyone was super cautious. Everyone was like, mm, I mean, it's a fun idea. Like, you know, go mm-hmm. for it if you want to. Um, and we had a wild situation in the beginning, like the most LA of stories as a family. I was a nanny for a family in Beverly Hills. They owned a video game studio. I mentioned my film idea to the mom the next day. She was like, Hey, can you come pitch the film to the, the dad and his team? And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, they're launching a indie film division and they're looking for some small quirky projects. And I was like, well, and uh, you know, a pitch, <laughs> like that's something you prepare for. I have handouts for. And she's like, Oh, it's casual. Just come down. So I did. They were like, like thumbs up, green light, like like we started the process. Uh, a matter of weeks later, they were purchased by a Japanese gaming company oh. that like had no use for this not even yet established uh, film <laughs> department, mm-hmm. and everything fell apart. And I had to figure out like, hey, is there a way to do this by the bootstraps, or do we need to call it quits? And I decided to do it, and. It was awful. <laughs> there were so many brick walls. There were so many times. I mean, talk about parallels with ultra running. There were so many brick walls that presented themselves that should have been game enders. But because I had such a good why, uh, you know, I mean, I was making the film to honor my mom. I mean, that's at the end of the at the end of the day what the film was about. And there was really no scenario where I could not finish the film and not be <laughs> racked 
with guilt and disappointment for the Mm -hmm. rest of my life. So I didn't have a choice. And ultra running and the filmmaking process uh, taught me about a lot about what happens when you just stubbornly refuse not to quit, uh, which is a hard choice to make, but the results are pretty surprising. Yeah. So what I'm taking from this podcast is to be happily stubborn without giving a shit. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. You just summed it up. Screw the rest of the episode. That's what we talked about. Yeah, there's our clip right there. That's so good. Um, well, we finished our marks, and we yeah. have to put our party pants on. We got to go to dinner. We got to yeah. put our party pants on and go to din din. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thanks this has for been having an absolute me. It was so blast. Fun. Yeah. yeah, I love knowing everything about a person and you knowing very little about me. So <laughs> well, we got time. Yeah, we got time. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, y'all. Hell yeah. That was was so much fun, honestly. You, I, at the Brooks Summit, I was like...